they too had a family, they too had a life. At one point, we were also having the same problems. Helping each other gives us only a productive society. And we can save a child by helping. Let's just give them a chance. That's the only thing I would say. And you will see this incredible um, talent coming out of it. I'm lucky to help those people, uh, to be honest. I really am. Hello, Clever Headwoods Tribe, and welcome back to the season finale of season six. I cannot believe we're already here. Today we have Rami Ibrahim. He is a Habasha Eritrean living in the Netherlands. He actually lives in Horn, which is about 45 minutes from Amsterdam. So thanks for joining us today, Rami. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. And I'm really excited to talk to you because most of the air trades we've had on the show before, how much are they either in marketing or in some other uh, field where they're working with their hands, but you're actually an interpreter. So we want to get a little bit on how you got to that proficiency level, but let's take a step yeah. back. Sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Oh, by the way, let me just um, correct you. Interpreter slash intercultural mediator. Oh, excuse me. Yes. We'll have to yeah. go into that. <laughs> yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> but you've always been bilingual. So tell us a little bit about speaking Amharic and Tigrinian and studying English back in Eritrea. How did that happen? I'm actually trilingual. Yeah, I was born in Ethiopia, raised in Ethiopia. My father was a lecturer. My mother was also a teacher. My mom spoke, uh, still speaks English, Arabic, uh, Tigrinya, Amharic. My dad spoke, uh, really, yeah, he's not actually with us anymore, but uh, he spoke around uh, maybe five languages, if I'm not mistaken, including Spanish, because he used to live in Cuba for two years. I just got their skills, I would say. And uh, I was also in an American school in Addis Ababa, and now I'm living in the Netherlands, and I'm proud to say I speak also the Dutch language. That means by birth, I'm Ethiopian, I would say. By blood, I'm Eritrean. By uh, citizenship, I'm Dutch. So I'm a global citizen, I would say. So in 1998, 1999, if I'm not mistaken, um, the war broke out between uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea. The uh, Ethiopian government announced that all the Eritreans residing in Addis Ababa, they had to leave the country. My father was actually deported from Addis Ababa, which he has been living almost for 35, 40 years. And he thought he was actually one of the citizens of Ethiopia. But uh, fortunately, uh, the government announced that all Eritreans had to leave. So yeah, we had to leave also with, with our family to Eritrea. That was actually also a little bit like a culture shock because I've never been in Eritrea. I only know that my family were Eritreans. But the moment we entered uh, Eritrea, that was a little bit of a culture shock for us. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I've had other people on the show that told me a little bit about that. But one thing that they haven't talked about is when the deportation happened, how much notice were you given before you had to leave? Well, my father, he never received any notice. What I remember is that police or the people working for the government came around 3 o'clock or maybe 2.30 in the night. They knocked at the door. My dad, he opened the door. So he was taken to the prison with his pajamas. And I will never forget that. And the next day, they put him on a bus and he was immediately ported to Eritrea. And then uh, we got a notice uh, from the municipality where we uh, lived that we had to leave within, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a month. Sell our uh, home, uh, all the things we owned, uh, car, everything we had to sell. My 
dad is actually basically my hero. And I'm like, what's going to happen now? We don't have our hero in the house. Thanks to mom. She was really strong. I do have a big respect for my mom. She handled herself. She took her responsibility. We went together all the way to Djibouti. And then we had a chance to take like a ship all the way to Asap. That was actually uh, in Eritrea. And then we went to Asmara. So altogether, how long did this trip take from Addis to Djibouti to Asap to Asmara? We entered Djibouti within one day from Addis Ababa to Djibouti. And then we stayed two weeks and then we entered Eritrea. Once you got there, do you have any siblings and how did you all adapt to be yeah. in Eritrea for the first time? You're like, what is this? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was it was, it was was actually, uh, we felt a little bit like adventurous. I mean, like it was like... Um, around the world in 80 days. Daushele, we were like traveling from Ethiopia to uh, Djibouti, from Djibouti all the way to Eritrea. But then the moment we entered Eritrea, it was, I don't know, it was around eight o'clock, 7.30. And we saw this small Italian cars, Yolo cars, and very old. That was actually new for us. And horses, it was different. It was really different. And we had to adapt. And it took us a little bit while because we never actually spoke to Grinia very good. We had to learn from scratch. And then we started high school. And then we came up across uh, different Amiche people, people we used to know back uh, in our school uh, in Ethiopia. It was like, oh, I know you. You were in Addis Ababa. We used to go to the same school. Yeah, you live around here. Yeah. So we had uh, some kind of connections. We spoke the same language. At that time, we were only playing Playstations and we actually forgot about all the things that we seen and the shocking things. We forgot it. And we started a new life. Uh, we get reunited with our family. That was also a very great moment. I saw my dad. He was fine. He was healthy. So, uh, yeah, it was a great moment when we uh, reunited with our families and friends. So then once you finished school in Eritrea, eventually you decided to leave. Why was that? Me and my brother, we were actually in Sawa. Sawa is actually a military camp. You have a national examination, matriculation. You either pass to university or the government decides your fate. That means you become for the rest of your life a soldier or you'll be in the national service. Me and my brother, we actually passed our matriculation examination. But then we saw there was no perspective, future perspective. Um, father was actually not living in the Eritrea. So we were actually only with our mom. The economic situation was bad. Political situation was bad. There was no uh, future perspective. And we were like, you know what? This is actually the part where we have to move out of the country. So we were forced again um, to leave the country and uh, to come to the Europe. It is an adventure. It was also risks. At one point, you just have to decide uh, and take a risk. My mom, she was actually was not eligible to do national service in the country. So they told her, you know what, you have the right to leave the country. My brother was actually the one who first left. So he went to Sudan, from Sudan to the Netherlands. But for us, it was actually hard to leave the country illegally. We had to go all the way to Sudan and from Sudan, we uh, came to the Netherlands. And the reason is because uh, our dad asked for a family reunification. That's actually a program where family uh, gets uh, settled. Thank God we came uh, peacefully from Sudan to uh, Amsterdam. 
Wow, so you got reunited again. So how do yeah. you feel to be a refugee a second time? It's sad. You have no idea. I mean, uh, it was it was a good feeling. Uh, you have a feeling that, okay, this is actually the final point where you will never see the refugee life again. Yeah, I, remember, I was around, if I'm not mistaken, 18, 19, maybe 20, when I uh, first arrived uh, to the Netherlands. My dad told me, you know what, you have to get integrated with a, uh, with a whole society. It's very different in terms of the culture, language, continent. I mean, we were in Africa and we decided... Uh, we decided to go all the way from Africa to Europe. The beautiful part is in the Netherlands, everybody speak, uh, speaks English. In one way, it cripples you because it doesn't motivate you to learn the language. Uh, another way, uh, it is nice because you get the access to find information. The first thing I did was, okay, I have to have education. In order to have the education, then I need to learn the language, the customs, uh, the norms, be Dutch. And I had that practice because I used to live in Ethiopia. I was part of the Ethiopians. And then we went to Eritrea and I was part of Eritrea. And then we came to the Dutch, I was part of the Dutch. So the adaptation was actually very smooth for me to be part of the society. It is a very hard work. I mean, learning the Dutch language from scratch is not easy. The first thing I did is uh, force myself not to speak English. I spoke only the Dutch and school helped also. And within no time... I was really good at it. Yeah, that's amazing. Being young helps, but also being a clever hybrid from day one. And your parents had such an open mindset to other cultures, other languages. I'm sure that was made it much easier. Exactly. 100%. I agree with that. I mean, uh, my family helped me a lot. Uh, I really thank them. They really motivated me. Uh, they gave me the best advice um, on how I could actually uh, develop I think this is actually the result of my parents, uh, the right footing, the right mindsets, uh, the environment, uh, everything. Uh, if you have somebody who is actually beside you, who could guide you to have the perfect uh, future perspective. Yeah, I know your mom will be watching this, so you did a good job. <laughs> yeah, hey, mom, good job. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But now you're raising your own family, and, and you mentioned before your wife is Habasha, but she was born and raised in the Netherlands. Uh, so. nah. Yeah, well, she was born in Eritrea, of course, but then her family also moved uh, again to the Netherlands, and she grew up here in the Netherlands in a very small city called Amsfort. We met in, uh, in Amsterdam. So, yeah, I did a little bit traditional way of uh, asking her family uh, for aunts, and we got married, and we now... Uh, having four kids together. <laughs> I speak to them, actually English. They're really good at English. Uh, we, I'm, I'm a little bit nerdy. Uh, I love playing games. So we do uh, play together, uh, games, football, and they learn all these uh, languages. But I do tell them their origin. I, I tell them that I was born in Ethiopia, raised in Eritrea, came to the Netherlands, and that uh, language is very nice. I mean, you get connected with different people, different society, culture. And uh, I'm proud of that. And I don't pressure them actually to speak Ethiopian language or Eritrean language. I don't force them, but they just learn it. And I'm happy about it. Proud, actually. It's... Yeah, that's the best way, actually, with kids. If you force them to do something, eventually they will eat it. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> definitely. So my work is actually an intercultural mediator. And we actually work 
to improve the accessibility and uh, the quality of care for our minors, bridging social culture gaps, linguistic facilitations. It could be in healthcare service, but we give them the chance to get their voice to be heard. And this is my job, actually. And just for you guys who are listening, when we're talking about minors, we're not talking about coal minors, we're talking about young people. So what age group are we talking about? Yeah, starting from 12 to 17. Starting from Eritrea, they go illegally to Ethiopia or neighboring countries like Sudan. And from Sudan or Ethiopia, they start the journey all the way to Libya, across different European countries to reach a safe country. They have seen so many things, so many uh, bad things on the way. By law, compulsory that a minor who come to the Netherlands with their parents, they have to have a guardian. There's a cultural gap, a language gap. Uh, so we try to help for both parties, I mean, uh, the minors and the guardians, to have uh, one common ground and to help each other. The main task of the intercultural mediators um, is doing the interpreting, but also transmitting the right message from A to B or from guardians to the minors, but also uh, we help them prevent conflict. The Dutch and the, the, the German, uh, they have uh, very low context of communication. They want action. What's your name? What happened? I mean, they really want straightforward answers, for example. For Eritreans, when they give an answer, it could be indirect, just to have eye contact. For example, for Europeans, you have to have the right eye contact so that you could bring your message straightforward. Even for professionals, Europeans find it a little bit um, hard to understand if you don't look at them straight to their eyes and give them answers. They find it a little bit rude. As experts, we tell them that that is actually a, a difference in context, a culture context. Even food, for example, East Africans, they eat with their hands, uh, while in European countries, they use cutlery, uh, forks, knives. For pizza. Uh, for, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for pizza, for example. Exactly. True. You will be surprised that there are so many uh, minors who never had a chance to use the cutlery. I mean, uh, forks and knives, uh, they don't know how to use it. What are some of the success stories? And you said from 12 to 17. Yeah. So 17, they would be finishing school. What, what support did they get uh, after that? And is there an example that you could give of someone who's doing well now? I mean, uh, there's definitely success stories. Uh, finish school, they get reunited with their families. They work, start working, they integrate. They speak the language. I mean, they're really hard workers. Of course, the first time there's always uh, obstacles. But the moment you give them time, then they start to understand the the system and the, the, the values and the, the different cultural uh, aspects. It's just incredible to see how they flourish and they'd be like, you know what, I don't need your help. I'm going to do myself. If I have a CV. I'm going to go for agencies. It's just incredible to see that. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work, but you see their determination. Big time. Like, no. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, determination. That is it. They have this incredible uh, determination always to success. I have a friend here that he came as an unaccompanied minor, yeah. and now I think he's in his mid-20s. He's already finished his uh, trade school training. He's working now. He has his own apartment, his own car, yeah. driving his license. Exactly. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I mean uh, that's the thing. I mean, they, all, they are always looking for the right information. The moment you give them the tools, informations, they are always ready to flourish. If they have the right tools and the skills and the language, it becomes really easy for them to integrate in the, in the society. 
you could have chosen any job that you wanted. You decided to do an interpreting translation that would be able to to help your community. Why did you decide to do that? Uh, I think I got it from my parents. Uh, they were always contributing to the society, to the community. I got it from them. I love, I love helping people. I love supporting people. You get energy actually out of it. Just see people happy and being thankful that you give them the right help. It's just incredible. Let's just give them a chance. Let's hear them out. Um, I mean, they have incredible stories. They too had a family. They too had a life. At one point, we were also having the same problems. Helping each other gives us only a productive society. And we can save a child by helping. Let's just give them a chance. That's the only thing I would say. And you will see this incredible um, talent coming out of it. I'm lucky to help those people, uh, to be honest. I really am. I love it. Yeah, I love your mindset, and we're going to need it more and more as more immigrants are, are moving around. Yeah. Um, especially with the climate change and all the other things Ex going exactly. on, there's going to be more and more people that have to leave their country for different reasons. The, the crucial aspect of the work of uh, intercultural mediator, uh, mediators, uh, ICMers, is just building uh, trust and facilitating information. That's it. And they just go to other people and they give also same help which I gave them. That is a meaningful work. It definitely is. The best clever hybrids create more clever hybrids. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> true. True. Thank you so much for your time, Rami. I know this is time you could be spending with your four kids <laughs> and your wife. So we appreciate you taking the the evening to talk to likewise, us. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much, Gabby, for having me. It was a pleasure. And all of you listening Thank you so much for staying with us until the end. If you want to contact Remy, I'll be putting his contact information in the show notes there. But if you are a native speaker in a country or even an immigrant who's been around for a while, think about some of the things Remy said. How can you help? It doesn't have to be a big investment of time or money. It might just be being nice to the next person you see who's struggling trying to talk and order their food or they look like they're lost. Just be nice to other people. That's easy enough. So this is Gammy V for Clever Hybrids signing off and we'll see you in the next one.